My name is Don Williams, and I'm the executive director of the North Alabama Christian Children's Home in Florence. I was here back in the summer as a part of your summer series, and Ron and I are excited to be able to talk to you today about things that you can do to help folks in their grief journey. And uh, interestingly enough, ironically enough, we're going to be talking about how to minister to the hurting. And so you think, okay, this is a lesson to help me out. Not really. Um, unfortunately, this past Wednesday, I had arthroscopic shoulder surgery. It could have been a whole lot worse. I took out a spur and some floating bones and whatever. But uh, thankfully, did not have to do anything to the rotator cuff. So hopefully, it will be better. But as we talk about how to minister to the hurting, what today we want to look at as the outset is what can we do for people before death? How do we minister to folks who are um, dealing with dementia, dealing with heart issues, dealing with cancer, things of that nature? Also, I might make mention there is a class down below that Ron is now teaching for anyone who would like to know how to help your children or grandchildren, as the case may be, deal with death and loss. So you're not going to offend me in any way if you choose to get up and go to that class, but it's down below, down the steps. And so I just thought I'd make mention of that in the event that you want to be a part of that. It is not for children, but it is for those who uh, have children or grandchildren that have to deal with grief and loss. So today we want to talk about things that we can do to be the people of God that we need to be to help folks with the chronic illnesses or in some cases the terminal illnesses that they deal with. The late Brother Franklin Kemp made the statement that on any given Sunday there may be as many as 75% of the people within the congregation that are hurting in one way or another. It may be that there are families present on a Sunday, exhausted over the care of someone that has been in the hospital. Or it may well be that they are tired because of the continual care of seeing after a relative or a parent at the nursing home. Or it may well be that they are mentally exhausted because of the decisions they're going to have to make about their uncle or about their parent in regards to the nursing home decision. Still on any given Sunday, there may be people in the church audience that are dreading the test that they are about to go through at the doctor's office or the hospital. Or it may well be that they're waiting on results, afraid of what the circumstances may be, but yet not certain until actually they come in. On any given Sunday, there may be someone who's slowly putting one foot in front of the other as... They come back to church for the very first time without their loved one physically present. So others wonder about needing to go to the doctor, yet they can't afford the medicine or they can't afford the test. Or maybe just someone that's had a terrible weekend and they've broken up with their loved one in terms of dating or things of that nature. Whatever the case may be, there's often a lot of ways that different people are hurting as they come to church. And so we need to know what we can do to try to help those people. We want to begin by looking at a biblical rationale. 
in terms of what we can do. And so there on the first handouts, you might see, you might want to fill in the blanks as we talk about this. First of all, if we want to be like Jesus, and He is our mentor, He is our Savior, we need to go about doing good in the lives of others. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to go about doing good. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it said that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. If we want to be like our Lord, then we too need to try to go about doing good in the lives of others. Secondly, like our Lord, we need to be moved with compassion as we see the needs of others. That phrase, move with compassion, is found several times in the New Testament, especially as it relates to Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, he saw a great multitude come his way. And the Bible says that he was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep not having a shepherd, and he attended to their needs. Philippians 2 talks about looking on the things of others, not just our own selves, but also on the things of others. And so, again, if, we, if Jesus is our supreme example, then like Him, we need to be moved with compassion as we see the needs of others. Thirdly, helping the lives of others involves deeds, that is, actions, as well as words. It's wonderful out here in the foyer to say, Hi, how are you doing? Glad that you're better, things of that nature. But it may well be that to truly show to people the love of God, we need to think about things that we can do to help them in time of need. You know, the idea of be warmed and filled sometimes doesn't go very far. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. But whoso has this world's goods and seeth, his brother have need, and shutteth up the bowels of compassion from him. How does the love of God dwell in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, that is in action, and in truth. Tonight at the 5 o'clock service, we'll talk about practical things that can help people in the first few hours the first few days following the loss of their loved one. This comes from the 25 years of teaching those grief support classes that that we have taught. And of the hundreds of people who said, here were the things that helped me when I just did not know where to turn, when I did not know what to do, here were the things that people did for me that were of help. Concrete actions and things that they did. And so we'll, we'll, we'll do that tonight, and you'll have a handout to believe already in your, your booklet there concerning it. John Hall put it this way, kind looks, kind words, kind actions, and warm handshakes. These are secondary means of grace when men are in trouble and are fighting their unseen battles. So if we want to help in the lives of others... It involves not just words, but also actions. Number four, helping the lives of others involves compassion. It involves effort. 
It involves sacrifice and continued caring. It's not enough to think that we can just help somebody one time and that's all that we need to do. We've done our duty. We can check that off. Our Lord told a wonderful story in Luke chapter 10 that begins in a terrible way. A man is beaten up and left for dead on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Remember they robbed him? They, they mortally wounded him? And on that much traveled road, here comes some people. Here comes a priest. A priest looks at the real person from a distance, realizes that he is mortally wounded, realizes that if he touches him, if he tries to help him, he's going to be ceremonially unclean. He's not going to be able to go into the temple. So what does he do? He passes by on the other side. Then there's a Levite. The Levite, the Bible says, goes over and looks at him. Brother Gregorius, I've wondered if their eyes met. And if they did, what must the man on the ground that was beaten up, left for dead, what must he have thought when he saw a strong, able-bodied person that could have helped him simply walk away? And then the Bible says, here comes the Samaritan. And if you'll notice there in the context, it says, as he journeyed. This was a man who perhaps was a businessman. He had people to see. He had places to go. He had commitments to keep. But the Bible tells us that he was moved with compassion. That led him to get off of his beast of burden, walk over and assess the needs of the person, then go back to his beast of burden and attend to those needs. Remember what he did? He brought oil and wine. Wine for the purpose of cleansing the wound. Oil for the purpose of sealing or perhaps dulling the pain that this man had. He bandages him up. And then, and some of you have been there before, where no one can help you as you're trying to get them off the ground. The man literally was dead weight. But he picks him up and carries him and places him on his own beast of burden. He walks while this man rides. He goes to the end of the day. We know enough about wounds to know that they have to be changed, especially in the first 24 hours. And so perhaps you can see that several times during the night he's up taking care of the needs and the wounds of this person. The next day he has places to go. He has commitments to keep. But he doesn't say, I've done my duty, good luck. No, he goes to the innkeeper. He gives him money. He says, allow this man to stay here and convalesce, get better, get healthier. If he needs to stay longer than what this money will pay for, then allow him to stay. And whenever I return, I will pay the difference. What did the innkeeper not do? Argue with this man. Why? Because he was a person of integrity. Then our Lord brings the message home to us, doesn't he? Because when he asks the question, who was the one that showed mercy? And the answer is given, the one that helped. Then he points the finger at you, and he points the finger at me, and he says, you go and you do likewise. What's his point? His point is that it's not enough as the people of God. 
as a family of God. To do something one time for someone and then think that we've done all that we need to do. If we're truly going to be like Jesus and have that compassion, that heartfelt empathy for the pains of others, then it's going to involve effort. It's going to involve sacrifice. This man had to walk. No telling how long he had to walk before they got to the end of that night. It has to be continued caring. But in the end, he receives the commendation because he did exactly what he needed to do. On March 3rd, 2001, on a Sunday morning at the North Carolina Church of Christ where I preached for 14 years there in the Killing Green Hill area, I was giving these same lessons, this exact same lesson that Sunday morning to our congregation. Unbeknown to us, one of our deacons was in the hospital there at ECM. He had been having some falling spells, some dizzy spells. By the end of services, we received a phone call saying that he was in the emergency room. The test determined that he had a brain tumor and it was stage three. Many of us went to the hospital that afternoon to spend time with Tim and Kathy. And among them was another fellow deacon by the name of Ronnie. And as we all went in to visit with them and to hear this terrible news and to try to to help them in whatever way possible, Ronnie said to Tim and Kathy, I know it's too early for you to know exactly what your plans are, where you're going to go to see after the needs of this brain cancerous tumor. But I want you to know that wherever you go, I'm going to be your driver. If you want to go to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, I'll take you there. If you want to go to the Anderson Clinic in Houston, Texas, I'll drive you there. If you want to go to UAB, which is where they did go, I'll drive you every time you go. I'll drop you off at the door. My wife and I will stay with you if needs be, and if not, we'll tend to the needs of your two teenage daughters, which they did. Not just once, but for the next 22 months, until finally Tim lost the battle with cancer but won the war in terms of sin and passed on to a better life. And why did he do that? Because he had compassion. Did it involve effort? Yeah. Did it involve sacrifice? Oh yes, they had their own family. But because of continued caring, that's exactly what they did. And our Lord said, you go and you do likewise. In terms of ministering to others, helping the lives of others gives us the commendation of the Savior Himself and the future blessing of heaven. Remember that great roundup chapter when he's talking about Judgment Day? To those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why is it going to be ours? Because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you came unto me. I was in prison and you visited me. 
You remember the Lord, they say to the Lord, Lord, we don't ever remember doing those things for you. Remember his point? Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, it's as if you have done it unto me. A life of righteousness is a life of caring, seeing after the needs of others. And so as we begin this biblical rationale of trying to help minister to people who are hurting, we've got to be like our Lord. We've got to be moved with compassion. We've got to see beyond our own problems and see the needs of others. Out in the foyer... We were talking earlier about the bout with flu. And needless to say, there's times we don't need to go visit people with the flu, but sometimes, you know, we can take food to them and leave them at the door or go after and make sure that, you know, their medical needs are being met in terms of medicine or, or, or whatever the case may be. Other chronic illnesses and be the people of God that we need to be. Well, having dealt with that, let's now look at some rules to remember in regards to aiding the hurting. First of all, it's so, so very important that we treat those that are sick, those that are hurting, even those that are dying with dignity and with respect. So often that we get caught up in the illness that we forget the person behind the illness that we forget that they are living people with feelings and emotions and that they're having to deal with whatever bad news the doctors or nurses may be telling them, and yet they still need us to see them with dignity and with respect. Some years ago, a lady in a nursing home in Ireland died, and as they were going through her personal effects, they found a poem that she had written. It's entitled, See Me. Listen to this. What do you see, nurses? What do you see? Are you thinking when you look at me, a crabby old woman, not very wise, uncertain of habit with faraway eyes, who dribbles her food and makes no reply when you say in a loud voice, I do wish you'd try, and forever is losing a sock or a shoe, who unresisting or not, lets you do as you will, with bathing and feeding the long day to feel. Is that what you think? Is that what you see? Open your eyes, nurse. You're not looking at me. I'll tell you who I am as I sit here so still, as I use at your bidding and eat at your will. I'm a small child of ten with a father and mother, brothers and sisters who loved one another. A young girl of sixteen with wings on her feet, dreaming that soon now a lover she'll meet. A bride soon at twenty, my heart gives a leap. Remembering the vows that I promised to keep. At 25 now I have young of my own who need me to build a secure, happy home. A woman of 30, my young, oh, they grow so fast. But we're bound to each other with ties that should last. At 40, my young sons have grown and are gone. But my man's beside me to see I don't mourn. At 50, once more babies play around my knee. Again, we know children, my loved one, and me. Dark days are upon me. My husband is dead. I look at the future and shudder with dread. 
For my young are all rearing young of their own, and I think of the years and the love that I've known. I'm an old woman now, and nature is cruel. Tis her jest to make old age look like a fool. The body, it crumbles. Grace and vigor depart. There is now a stone where once I had a heart. But inside this old carcass, a young girl still dwells. And now and again, my battered heart swells. I remember the joys, and I remember the pain. And I'm living and loving life all over again. I think of the years all too few, gone too fast. And accept the stark fact that nothing can last. Open your eyes, nurse. Open and see. Not an empty old woman. Look closer. See me. It's important that as we minister to the needs of others, that we treat them with dignity and with respect. In regards to rules, remember to help the hurting. Caring is more than kindness. It is trying to find ways to help ease the suffering of others. Caring is more than just kindness. It's looking for ways. You see, we as concerned friends, people of the family of God, don't have to have all the answers to the problems that come in people's lives. They just need to know that someone cares. Imagine going to the doctor's office and receiving the news that you have stage 3 brain tumor or that you have some catastrophic illness and you thought it was something else. Imagine how shaken your world would be and then it seems like that everything just continues to go south and just get worse and worse. Robert Orban put it this way, Sometimes I get the feeling that the whole world is against me. But deep down I know that's not true. Some of the smaller countries are neutral. You ever felt that way? Just seem like everything is against you? Folks who have caring try to help ease the suffering of others. Deborah Novak from the Capstone School of Nursing in Tuscaloosa said, Caregivers don't have to have all the answers to help in the lives of others. If we were there to help with the questions, that's enough. Dying people are on a voyage. What they need is a community to go along with them on the trip. Let's say that we go to visit someone in the hospital or the nursing home. Ask questions that are simple to understand. Let's not avoid or shun those people simply because they're sick. Now, though there may be some contagious things, and that's a different situation. But sometimes, especially in the area of dementia, and I do some work and research in that area as well in regards to dementia and Alzheimer's. But I hear sometimes people say, well, I would like to go visit them, but I just can't see them the way they are. I would like to remember them the way they were. Now, I understand that at one point. But think about already what losses that family, that person has sustained. Think about all the, the loss of independence that they have. They may not even be able to go to the restroom without help. Now, on top of all the other losses, they're going to have to lose your friendship because you can't handle it? It just doesn't sound right, does it? 
it's important that we try to be there with people and help them. Never underestimate the knowledge of sick people. They often know much more about the illness than you think they do. When our friends who dealt with that brain tumor would spend time in Birmingham, we had wonderful people that would drive two and a half hours from Green Hill, Killen, to Birmingham to be with them and visit them. But on one occasion, some people came in, and the wife was telling me this, Kathy, and even though Tim was sitting there in the bed, didn't have any type of oxygen mask or anything on, could easily communicate, they walked in, said hello to him, waving at him, and then walked over to her and said, How's he doing? And she said, Ask him, he's sitting right there. Again, just that idea of needing to be there and not treating them in the, in the improper way. Number two, in all of your visits, try to offer hope. Hope is the spiritual oxygen of the soul. Now, I'm not talking about false hope, but hope that perhaps things can be better today than they were yesterday, or that a better day can be coming. Job talked about hope in Job 17, verse 15, when he said, And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? Or again in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 4, To him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. People need to have hope. Certainly hope of eternity in terms of the life that they've lived and the better life that is awaiting us. But also hope that something can perhaps be better today. At the first of the year, when one of our elders was talking about how important it was to him that his wife had started a prayer list and that she was praying for things in his life on a daily basis, I decided to do the same. In about two weeks' time, I had an entire page filled. And I tried to do that every morning. And I tried to let people know, I'm praying for you today. I'm praying for you every day. People need to know that there are folks who think we are worth and value that we would pray for them on a regular basis. Because everybody needs to have hope. The story is told of a young man that was severely burned. So much to the point that he had to go to one of these major burn units and stay for a long period of time. The school system, knowing that he would be out of school for a good while, hired a teacher to come in and teach him English one hour a day there in the burn unit. This lady that was hired went in. And when she walked in, she saw something she had never seen before. She saw this young man almost completely covered up in bandages because of the terribleness of the burns. She could see the terrible pain that he was in. And yet, true to what she was there for, she began to teach English and verbs and adverbs to him. At the end of the hour, she left thinking, this is really a waste of time. How in the world can he be thinking about this in the terrible pain that he's in? But because the school system wanted her to go regularly, 
she went back the next day. As she's about to go into his room, the charge nurse took her aside and said, I need to talk with you. They walked over to the little room. The lady said, what did you say to that young man? She said, well, I didn't say anything. I just taught him verbs and adverbs. And the nurse said, well, whatever you did, you keep it up. He has made more significant improvement in the last 24 hours than he has for weeks. With renewed vigor, she continued to teach him English. And he continued to get better. And finally the time came when he was going to be able to leave the burn unit and to go back home. And when they asked him, why was it that when that teacher came, you began to get better? The young man's answer was profound. He said, I decided in my mind that nobody would waste their time on a boy that was going to die. And so I determined that I could be better. Hope is so, so very important as we minister to the needs of others. Number three, a six-minute visit if you're sitting down seems like 15 minutes to a patient. Sometimes we say, well, I'd like to go visit somebody in the hospital or the nursing home, but I just really don't have the time. Do we have six minutes? Yeah. Hospice did studies and said that when a person was sitting down across from somebody as if they had all the time in the world and only stayed six minutes, it seemed like 15 minutes to that patient. That lets them know that you are thinking about them, that you care enough to be there for them. Listen to them. Don't finish their sentences for them. Sometimes it may be that you just need to accept their silence. Sometimes people have said, the greatest person that ever came to visit me was the person who just sat there in my circle of pain and prayed with me. Didn't say anything but just were there listening to me and then prayed with me. That seems so, so very important. These words are very, very important, especially as it relates to older people. Remember what was. Restore what remains. Recreate what is possible. Folks with Alzheimer's have had the hippocampus part of their brain destroy the ability to remember things that just happened immediately. That's why they can't remember what happened two minutes ago, or in some cases five minutes ago, or in some cases 20 minutes ago. It's not that they're trying to be difficult. Their brain has been destroyed. However, often in dementia... The last portion of the brain that is destroyed it has that, it has the, is that long-term ability, that remembrance of years ago. Therefore, fellas, one of the best things you might be able to do for another man that is dealing with dementia is to remember what was. Just go and talk about the good old days. They with clarity can tell you what happened 40, 50, 60 years ago. Maybe even wars that they were a part of. And even though they can't remember who you are two minutes after you leave, 
It's going to make them feel better to know that somebody was willing to spend the time with me. Restore what remains. Do you have brethren of this congregation that physically cannot sit for two hours on a Sunday morning? But perhaps could do so for a one-hour worship period? And perhaps maybe what can be done is somebody toward the end of Bible classes go and pick up that person, bring them to church, usher them in, allow them to sit here for an hour along with their family, and then to be able to go back home. Recreate what is possible. One of the best elders that I ever had the privilege of working under was Brother Malachi Parker. He was lovingly known as Brother Kai Parker. Great song leader. Mark, it was a blessing to be able to preach after his singing because he would get the audience uh, renewed with the wonderful way in which he led the singing right before your preaching. Brother Kai was dying of prostate cancer. His wife needed time in which she could go pay bills or go and buy groceries or whatever. And so some of us men had the privilege of going and staying part of a day at their home. Now Brother Kai couldn't be gone out from the home long because of restroom needs. But he could be gone for about an hour, sometimes or two at the best. Brother Kai loved Burger King. And so my one of my good days was being able to take Brother Kai to the local Burger King there in Florence. Got him one of those crowns, bought him a Whopper. We had a wonderful time. And then we went back home and he rested and slept. And I stayed there while his wife was gone. We recreated what was possible. Couldn't be gone long, but he could be gone for a little while. If we want to be the family of God... Let's look for ways in which we can remember what was, restore what remained, and recreate what is possible. Number five, it's important that we not forget the caregiver. The caregiver, the folks that are there day in and day out. Do you know that on average, a person who is a caregiver for a dementia person will spend a minimum of 70 hours a week seeing after their needs. Think about that. Seven, ten-hour days. And even if they hire someone to help them, still they are in charge of that person's care and well-being, especially if things go south. What can we do to help the caregiver? This is a statement straight out of the Bible. Psalm 142, verse 4. One of the saddest verses in all the Bible. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Here's someone who is in need. Here's someone who's trying to find somebody to help them. They're looking on their right hand, but there's no one there. Refuge. Folks that could be of help to me has failed. No man cared for my soul. Wouldn't that be a sad commentary? If in fact that was the true case, that in times of need you're looking for help, you're looking for strength and encouragement from your brothers and sisters in Christ, from your neighbors, 
and they're not there. Years ago, a lady who had lost her husband came to the preacher of that congregation, called him by name and said, Brother, I'm not going to leave this church. This church has been a part of my life for many years. But I want you to know that the American Legion did more for me and my husband's death than this church did. That's something you really don't want to hear. But that preacher thanked her and said, we've got to correct some things. And they did. What did our Lord do to those who are hurting? To those that perhaps some might even consider to be untouchable? The answer is found in Mark 1, verse 41. When a leper comes in the presence of Jesus... Now we know enough about leprosy that in that day it was considered a deadly disease. It was considered a disease that had health issues. Those who had leprosy had to cover their lip. They had to call out to people, unclean, unclean, so that they would move away from them. They had to dwell only with their own leper colonies. And yet here's a man that boldly comes into the presence of Jesus and asks him the question or makes the statement, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He believed that much in Jesus. Remember what our Lord did? He said, I will, you be clean. And he touched him. Did Jesus have to touch the leper in order for him to be healed? Not at all. Why did he do so? We know there's times in which miracles were performed and he didn't even see the person that was sick or even had died. And yet they were healed. Why did he touch the leper? To let him know that he was of worth and value of being touched. We need to make sure that whenever folks are dealing with possible terminal situations or chronic situations where a person is sick or not able to be present and that the family or caregivers are not going to be able to be there as well, that we not make it worse for them by making them feel guilty, by saying things that hurt them because of the journey that they're in. We need to touch them with feelings and with kindness. So, so very important. The word feeling is a European word. It literally means to touch. And if we show to others that we care about them by our care and concern, then it will go a long way into helping them with their journey. Number six, when in doubt, listen. Lucretia Mott made this statement. A lot of times when people are telling us their stories, whether it be about grief, their grief story, whether it be about their illness, whether it be about situations that have come to them, we may be in the midst of many important things, but we need to take the time to listen. Go back and look at the times in which our Lord was interrupted, literally on the way to do something else when something else came along. 
He didn't say, now hold off, I'll deal with you later. No, he took care of it. How we listen is just as important as listening itself. They say that we communicate three different ways. Only 7% of our communication is with words. 7%. We communicate 38% by tone and inflection. Think about the differences between these two statements. I love you. I love you. Notice the difference? The first one is one that you felt like you had to say. Maybe us men, we're in the doghouse and so we say it, but we don't say it rightly. The second one we really want to say. 55% of our communication is with body language. What do I mean by that? Somebody is pouring out their heart to you and you're sitting there with your arms crossed looking at your watch, looking up, looking around, everything but at them. What are you communicating? I really don't want to hear this. I really don't have time for this. I'm really not interested in this. Again, if we want to be the people of God that we need to be, we need to communicate and listen to them in the proper way. Number seven, instead of saying what you need to do is Magical words to a hurting family are, tell me about it. Instead of telling people what we think they need to do, and becoming judge and jury, should statements in grief, you should be, or you should not, or you should be strong for, those really aren't helpful. Often people who make those statements have no knowledge of what they are saying. And so that sounds judgmental to people who are hurting in times of grief. But tell me about it. What's going on in your life? What can we do to help you? It's always important to think about ways that we can help people when we are sitting with them in surgeries or when they're about to hear good or not so good news. Somebody has said waiting is a brutal reminder that we don't control everything, but we're thankful that God does. I believe it's Tuesday night. We're going to talk about inappropriate things to say and do, and then talk about appropriate things that can be said or done, especially in the grief situation. But it's important And men, we often will go to visit somebody in the hospital or the nursing home. And a lot of times we'll ask the question, is it all right for us to have a word of prayer? And that's always a proper question to ask. But then here's the second question. If they affirm yes, then look them in the eyes and say, what would you like for me to pray for? You might be amazed as to what they would desire for you to pray for. Or if it's the case where the person is comatose, then ask that of the family member because that lets them know that you truly are concerned for them and want the best for them. Finally, number eight, greater lessons about faith are often proclaimed in a hospital bed They can never be proclaimed from an audience. I mean that in this objective only. A person can sit in the pew three times a week and not still be the child of God that they need to be. 
Often you see the faith of someone when bad things come their way. When in the midst of adversity, they continue to fight. My good brother Tim on his deathbed after 22 months of cancer in the last few minutes of his life made the statement before he drew his final breath. Satan has, lost, has won the battle, but he's lost the war. He won the battle with his body. Cancer would get him. But he had lost his war in terms of sin because Tim had remained faithful to the very end. A lady was talking to her doctor and the doctor said, I don't understand. Even when I give you bad news about your condition, you're always smiling. She said, you can't go to heaven with a frown. There's something to be said about that faith that a person has. As I close in terms of trying to help people in need, it's important that we ask specifically rather than generally. Don't say, call me if you need me. How can they remember your name out of the hundreds of people that have said that to them? Say, is there some medicine I can go pick up for you? Can I stay with your loved one while you go to the grocery store? Can I go to the grocery store for you? You, He likes music. Can I bring him a CD of that particular group? Always give a sick person and their caregiver the option of canceling. You say, well, I want to come visit 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. 9.30 they call and say, "Uh, it's just not a good time. Well, my schedule... Forget your schedule. You don't know what happened in the night. You don't know all the things that went on. You don't know perhaps how sick he may be at that moment. Always give them the option of canceling. Don't make anyone feel guilty. And let's be the people of God that we need to be. Thank you for your very kind attention.